On September 30th, 2016, uh, on his blog, Tom Rayner wrote an article titled, Four Reasons People Are Dropping Out of Church. Number one, he says church has become disposable. And what he means by that is we, we do live in a busy, a busy culture. And it seems like we are more mobile than we've ever been. And so if you get uh, a chance to get away, it's easy just to jump in the car and, and take off. And you can always listen to a sermon on a podcast. Or you can always catch up the next weekend. And our children are busy. And families are busy. And church can just easily be set aside. And in that sense, just kind of becomes uh, disposable. And if we have time for it, fine. If not, then we can always catch up later. A second reason that Rainer lists for people dropping out of church is he says people aren't serving. And that might be a reflection upon the first one. Uh, we are too busy to go to church. We are too busy to serve in the church. Uh, our schedules are full. Uh, church is no longer a priority for us because of the busy cluttered world in which we live. Number three, Rainer says, people aren't challenged. Well, that may be a reflection upon those of us who stand in a pulpit from week to week. And so maybe we need to pick up a little bit uh, the pace and challenge more often, challenge more directly. We've attempted to do that here at Lamar Avenue, particularly last summer when we really stressed uh, Bible class and st stressed attendance here in the assembly, participating in uh, a life group. And then finally, and this may be uh, bottom line, and again, this reflects back upon some of the themes that we have uh, sought to address here in recent months. Rainer says simply, people aren't discipled. We tend to just get people wet in the baptistry. And yet if you reflect upon the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, uh, the commission literally is to make disciples, and you do that two ways. You baptize and you teach. And, and that teach seems to come after the baptism. Now we know teaching occurs beforehand, but teaching never ends as we seek to become more and more like our Lord Jesus. Well, as I mentioned this morning, uh, earlier this morning, today I resume a study of the book of Acts titled, You Will Be My Witnesses. And we're going to pick up in chapters 3 and 4, and I view those chapters as one unit. We are probably now two to three years beyond the day of Pentecost. So the early church in Jerusalem has settled in just a little, if you will. And teaching continues. Evangelism uh, continues. But now we read, for the first time, persecution arises as the Jewish authorities particularly 
become concerned about this new upstart teaching that is infiltrating their city. And we're going to ultimately focus on chapter 4 and verse uh, 13, uh, the text I read uh, a moment ago. But I want to spend just a few minutes kind of setting the stage. So let's begin in chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg uh, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So as Luke continues the story of the early church, the beginning of Christianity, we find Peter and John one afternoon in the temple at the time of prayer. And they perform this, this great miracle for this particular man. But the narrative continues. And so the second scene, or the second panel, uh, if you will, begins in verse 11 and continues uh, through verse 26. A, growl, a great crowd gathers. And Peter uh, just takes advantage of this particular uh, opportunity and he begins to preach to the gathered crowd. This is the second major speech we have in the book of Acts. The first, of course, being found in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when Peter initially stood before that great throng of people and delivered that first sermon. Uh, this past Sunday in the Bible class I'm a part of, we actually worked through this sermon in Acts chapter 3, and we noticed the high Christology of what Peter said to this crowd. And what we mean by that, it is all about Jesus. And if you take just a few minutes to, to read through this second speech, you'll see over and over again, Peter saying something about Jesus, talking about his servanthood, the fact that he is the Son of God, the fact that he is the resurrected Christ. He is the promised prophet that Moses spoke about way back uh, in the Pentateuch. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. 
And, and so as we continue through the book of Acts and we uh, come across more sermons or speeches, we will continue to see the dominant theme that these early Christians focused upon in their relationship, in their communication to non-believers was the, the, the fact that Jesus was God's son. That might be a lesson, a side lesson there. Uh, so many times we get, we get caught up in, in the issues and the controversial things when we're visiting with our uh, non-Christian friends. And the focus should be upon Jesus and talking about Jesus and telling others about Jesus and, and, and making Jesus attractive to them so they will be drawn uh, to him. So we get to the end of chapter 3. This man has been healed. Uh, a great crowd has gathered. Uh, Peter has proclaimed Jesus to them. And now the Jewish authorities step in. Chapter 4 and verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we were being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you built, builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so Peter continues this, this bold proclamation of Jesus. And he emphasizes to these Jewish rulers, these Jewish authorities, who Jesus not only was, but is as the resurrected Christ. And so we come to verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But they don't know what to do. But since they could see the man had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together, and so they reached this decision. What are we going to do with these men, they ask. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. So they call them in again, and they command them to stop proclaiming Jesus. 
They stop them from publicly or command them to, to refrain from publicly talking about their risen Lord. And then their interchange concludes in verse 19 with Peter and John replying, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so the third panel in this, this uh, context ends with Peter and John then reporting back to the church. I like to think that they went back to their life group and they kind of shared what had happened, uh, what had, had previously happened to them uh, the past couple of days. And so they go back to their own people. Verse 23 uh, says, And an amazing thing happens. They bow together in prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so this context, this panel, this uh, plane, if you will, of what occurs here in chapters 3 and 4 comes to a conclusion. But let's go back now and focus on chapter 4 in verse uh, 13. Again, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been uh, with Jesus. Notice, first of all, that these, these Jewish rulers could not deny what had occurred. They could not ignore the fact that this man had been healed. They could not ignore the fact that Peter and John exemplified a tremendous amount of boldness and courage. It says they saw, which means they observed something with sustained attention. They came to the understanding of something is implied by this word, and that is their courage. Uh, The word that's translated uh, courage can also be translated as confidence or fearlessness. And we're going to come back uh, to this particular word here in just a moment. But they also took note, uh, one of the reasons for their amazement. They recognized these men or knew that these men were unschooled and ordinary. Uh, The word translated unschooled means literally not able to write. Uh, 
Uh, it is used often in educational context to refer to someone who, as we might say, didn't graduate, didn't receive their diploma, and thus are not as educated or as schooled as others uh, might be. Uh, the second word, ordinary, is, is really an interesting Greek word. It's the word idiotes, from which we get idiot. And in the first century, it simply referred to someone who was unskilled, someone who was inexperienced in something, not knowledgeable about something. And so it's, it's very likely... Uh, because uh, now the, the apostles have been around for maybe two or three years. Uh, these Jewish authorities would have known these men were former fishermen uh, up to the north on the Sea of, of Galilee. In fact, one, uh, one study from uh, first century Israel uh, suggests that in a in in an agrarian culture, uh, society, you might find uh, as many as nine different classes of people. And uh, fishermen would be categorized in uh, what was known as the uh, artisan class, which put them towards the very bottom of, of their uh, culture. And so they knew that, that Peter and John were not trained as interpreters of Scripture uh, or rabbinic tradition. And yet they have this, this amazing grasp of Scripture and prophecy and are able to effectively argue from the prophetic literature that Jesus is the fulfillment of those uh, prophe prophecies. And so they are astonished, Luke says, extraordinarily impressed, uh, even the idea of, of perhaps respecting them when they saw their courage and boldness. But they recognized them as having been with Jesus. I want to suggest from chapters 3 and 4, let's see, eight evidences of Peter and John being with Jesus. Number one, there was a public display of their faith. Number two, they served others in the name of Jesus. They didn't heal this man for their own credit or their own glory. They did it in the name of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus, so that Jesus might receive the credit. Number three, they seized every opportunity to talk about Jesus. They did it before the crowds, publicly. They did it privately before the Jewish authorities. Number four, they defended the resurrection of Jesus. Number five, they were bold. Again, back to the word that we mentioned just a moment ago in verse 13. Literally means the freedom of speech. And they took advantage of that freedom. And so they, with confidence, uh, without any hesitation, spoke about Jesus. Number six, they didn't worry about the consequences. They didn't care if they were arrested. They didn't care if they were thrown into jail. They didn't care if they had to appear before the authorities. They didn't care if they were threatened. They knew who they were and were determined to obey their Lord. 
Uh, number uh, seven, they returned to other Christians. Again, they, they didn't seek uh, going to hiding. They, they didn't seek to become recluse about their faith. They boldly go uh, to other Christians and boldly share uh, what they had, had experienced. And then finally, they were receptive to the Holy Spirit. The phrase, to be with Jesus, can be understood as a basic definition of discipleship. And so we uh, come back to this, to this theme of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 says, He, that is Jesus, appointed twelve that they might be with him. Uh, Bill Hall is uh, an author who has written three or four books on this topic of discipleship. And uh, his, his biggest book, his biggest treatise of this topic, is titled The Complete Book of Discipleship, and, and it's complete. It's about that thick, all right? But, but he works his way through all four of the Gospels and then into the book of Acts to notice how disciples were developed. And he takes what I just read in Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 and, and expands that with some key texts from the other three Gospels. And he finds Jesus uh, offering basically four invitations. And, and it's, a, it's a path. We, we have talked here about a discipleship path. But it's four invitations to discipleship that we find Jesus offer throughout his public ministry. It begins with just a simple uh, invitation to just come and see, come and hear, come and listen, come and observe who I am as God's son. The second invitation builds upon that. Jesus moves from come and see to follow me. Uh, if your interest is piqued, well, there, there's more to observe. Uh, tag along. Hang out with me a little bit. Then in the third invitation, we go back to uh, Mark uh, 3, where Jesus originally tells those 12 apostles okay, you've been following me for a while, now be with me. Attach yourself to me. Uh, not only continue to observe, not only continue to listen, but replicate what I'm doing. Uh, not only learn, but now live. Be with me. Um, maybe, maybe he thought, you know, It'll eventually rub off on these guys. Right? Spend all of your time with me. And then finally, uh, from John 15, remain in me or abide with me, depending upon your translation. So how do we spend time with Jesus? What, what, what can we do as followers of Jesus? What can we do as disciples of Jesus that others will take note, hey, 
That person has been with Jesus. Well, let me suggest three things this morning. First of all, begin to read a gospel. I mean, after all, the four gospels are our best source for learning about Jesus. We, we often talk about a canon within the canon. You know, the canon being uh, Genesis through Revelation. And then what, what is that portion of, of all of the Bible that we tend to spend most of our time in? That kind of becomes our, our canon within the canon. And traditionally for us, it's been the book of Acts. That's a good thing. I'm preaching through it. But I want to suggest to you, if you really want to get to know Jesus, claim one of the Gospels. And, and if you even want a section within the four Gospels that I would especially recommend would be Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, or uh, John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, this long uh, di discourse that John records for us just before Jesus' death. So read a Gospel. Secondly, as we sometimes sing, just have a little talk with Jesus. Talk to him. Dialogue with him. Claim him as your friend. In fact, speaking of John chapter 15, one of my favorite uh, sayings that we have from Jesus. Uh, again, he's, he's in the midst of, of the last few uh, hours with his closest disciples before he's ultimately betrayed and ultimately crucified. He tells them, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. All right, which one, lapel or podium? All right, let's do podium. Read a gospel, just have a little talk with Jesus, claim him as your friend, because Jesus considers us his friends. I mean, isn't that powerful? He, he no longer calls us servants, he calls us friends. Very powerful image there. And then finally, it's, it's become almost cliche uh, because uh, places like Hobby Lobby make a killing off this stuff. But ask, what would Jesus do? And then go do it. You know, the amazing thing about that, so many times we, we don't have to ask what would Jesus do. We can go to the Gospels and read what Jesus did. And so we should know what to do in a number of circumstances. Read a gospel, just have a little talk with Jesus, and ask, what would Jesus do? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Do others recognize you as having been with Jesus? Do, do others recognize me as having been with Jesus? I challenge each of us this week 
to spend some time with Jesus. If you're subject to his invitation, we ask you to come while we stand and sing. Stephen.